0: Are you feeling overwhelmed by technology? Do you suffer from a nagging fear of missing out? Join Chronicle Managing Editor Fernando Diaz as he talks to a panel of industry experts about the effects of technology on privacy and ways you can protect yourself. It's Chronicle Chats at Herbst Theatre on September 17th. You can purchase tickets at sfchronicle.com chats. Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garifoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. And today on the podcast, my guest is someone some of you really hate. Some of you want him tried as a war criminal. It's John Yoo. And when he was working in the George W. Bush Justice Department, he wrote the legal memo giving the justification for enhanced interrogation or torture, as most of us would call it. We talked to him a bit about that today but he's best known as a top law professor at UC Berkeley's law school and an expert on presidential power. Plus, he's a longtime friend of Brett Kavanaugh, President Trump's pick to be on the Supreme Court. We break down the court confirmation hearings, and you'll be surprised to hear what kind of trouble Trump might be in with Kavanaugh on the court. Oh, and did we mention John Yoo does not like Trump? He almost made him vote for a Democrat. One other thing that might surprise you, John you is kind of funny. You'll find out how funny next on it's all political Professor you welcome to it's all political. Thank you for being here. We're here in your office in uh, at UC Berkeley, and there's so much for to talk about today. Um, a couple of disclaimers though mm. for uh, people who may not know you the last time we talked I think for for uh for publication was right before the presidential election mm. now if you remember this you are you're a republican of course you served in the bush white house george w bush administration but you're not a fan of president trump i believe right. you said uh, uh you were not going to vote for him you said he's the type of demagogue the framers of the constitution were trying to stop and you said you were even considering considering voting for a democrat I never followed up with you.
1: By the who? way, I, one of my I also said uh, Trump reminds me of early Mussolini. Yeah,
0: yes, in a good way. <laughs> yeah. in, a, in a good wow, What's the, I don't. I think that's a whole other podcast to unpack the good, the good parts of Mussolini, um, or maybe a short one. But
1: yeah.
0: uh, um, so what did you? What, did you, what did you wind up voting for? I'm just curious. I can't. I won't say who I
1: voted for, but I didn't vote for Trump. You did not vote. for I Trump. did not vote for okay. Trump.
0: All right. Um, you know what did? Uh, what do you think of the jobs the president's done so far? This has been you know almost a year and a half on since we last chatted about that.
1: It's interesting. I think if you separated out the policies from the turmoil and chaos he's creating to our political system, I and I said this at the time, I probably agreed about 80% of his policies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was mostly foreign policy I was really worried about, where he has been very disruptive and chaotic. But on the domestic policies, you know, the things he's changed, tax cuts, sort of moderate tax cuts, and deregulation, which I think a lot of people in your line of business are not following, but that's, I think, the biggest change is Mm -hmm. restricting, overturning a lot of the regulatory decisions made by President Obama. But what I didn't foresee, but one of the reasons I was worried about uh, supporting him was the sort of chaos he's creating in the political system with the independent counsel investigations and Cohen and Manafort and this sort of Uh, Corruption that's surrounding the White House. I mean, who could have foreseen? Maybe some people did. I didn't uh, foresee it. I thought the big problem was going to be that he has no impulse control. And, you know, you see that in the tweets, which I tend not to read. But the lack of impulse control, I think, gets muted in the political system with domestic issues. He's got Congress. He's got all these agencies. He ultimately has a Supreme Court. But in foreign affairs, if you the president's wishes often get translated into policy right away, that's where I was really worried about the. And what do you think? I mean,
0: about his. I mean, he's, uh, his, uh, I mean, he's uh, just today he's said, "Well, we we have it. We NAFTA is no longer, <laughs> right. Right? but not not a
1: lot of uh, confirmation on that, at least from Canada." And, uh, <laughs> And so, what do you? Well, the Canadians—they'll never admit to anything. Anyway, they're just free riding <laughs> oh, off us geez. for the last two hundred years. You're going, you're going to create an international incident on the podcast. Here. That's what you want, <laughs> isn't <laughs> it?
0: But there you go. Uh, so, yes. um, but what about North Korea? Do you do you think that's? I mean, he he said he announced, yes. sort of proclaimed victory there, but then but the nothing Korea, happened. Nothing so,
1: happened. Uh, you know, so, take NAFTA and North Korea with NAFTA. That's what I was really worried about. Yeah. Was what's he going to do to our free trade? I think free trade has actually been enormous benefit to the United States I think there's some calculation that you know free trade I'm not sure about the exact number has increased the living standard of the average American by something like fifteen thousand dollars a year some large just because everything's really cheap right now and there's more jobs it's just the job shift from places like where I grew up Pennsylvania to places like California which are really taking advantage of that's unfortunate but the country as a whole is better off president comes in you know he's not you know, he's more anti free trade than president obama or i think any president democratic president since i don't know when since maybe you know before, before roosevelt i mean he you know trump is really turning around uh the republican party's approach to free trade which i really disagree with and you saw this today he's uh, his announcement on nafta should be a democratic labor unionist f- dream come true yeah right he's trying to create according to the leaks he's trying trump wants to create a minimum wage for mexicans who make cars so it's weirdly weird a minimum wage only for car workers um something about uh it looks like something about making sure a certain number of parts are made in north america which is actually a big problem because companies sometimes cheat on nafta by making all the parts of the car outside and then just assembling it in Mexico. That's a legitimate uh, problem. And then, it's, uh, according to the reports, increasing environmental and labor union safety uh, uh, protections in Mexico. These are all things that Ross Perot wanted and Richard yeah. Gephardt wanted when NAFTA was labor first Labor Democrats, it's, it's just yeah, it's so not adding up right now. So is something so This is something Republican Party fought against and successfully fought against in yeah. the first round of NAFTA. You know, Trump comes in and unsettles all of it on a whim. That's not a whim. I mean, he he campaigned on this. Everybody knew right. that's what he wanted yeah. to do. Not yeah, I think you. it's a terrible idea as a matter of policy, but it shows you how much power the president so why has. Why do you think it's a terrible idea as a matter of policy? Oh, well, I think, you know, there's, look, I'm not an economist. Yeah. A lot of economics, uh, you know, masquerades as science when it's not. But I think one thing that is true is the mm-hmm. law of comparative advantage, which means, it's much more efficient for both of us if you concentrate on making one thing you make well and I concentrate on something I make well and we trade rather than both of us trying to make both. It just, it, you know, there's a, it's a very simple formula. Even if it's so obvious that a French guy thought of it first. That's how obvious it is. A French guy thought of it first, not an oh American. There France and Canada. Well, they're the same outs. people, yeah, aren't okay. they? Oh my goodness. Uh, so anyway, so I you know I think just logic. I mean, this. But you know what? There's a lot of, you know, I see it in the students. There's a lot of suspicion of free trade, even though this is sort of. This, the this generation is suspicious. Truth. Oh, gosh. So, like, here, and you're, you're here in the bastion of liberalism Berkeley. Uh, I know, when, UC you said, Berkeley. when you said the podcast is called It's All Political, I mean, tell me about yeah, it. I'm at yeah, Berkeley. Yes, it yeah. is all political here. Yeah, yeah. You should just, you should tape every episode from <laughs> Oh, well, we could. We could. <laughs> so, uh, now, let's, uh, legally. Yeah.
0: Yes. Last week, uh, when we're recording this, is the president had a very difficult week. Mm-hmm. Uh His attorney implicated him in a federal crime. How, from your perspective does that change the, any kind of legal jeopardy the pre- uh, the president's in and 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 how does that uh does yeah, that change the situation a, It's for a
1: great question joe um it's ironic because the thing the investigation everyone thought was going to yield something was a Mueller special counsel investigation down in washington uh but it doesn't look like Mueller's coming up with much. It looks mm-hmm. like uh Mueller. Uh, you know, he got Manafort. Uh, he's got, uh, you know, he convicted, uh, successfully got a jury to convict him. He's gotten several plea deals from Michael Flynn, the National Security Advisor, but nothing on Trump. And so it looks like the most that. Uh, nothing Mueller, that he's showing yet. Yeah. If I, but, you know, you, you, you will hear from witnesses. You, right. you can tell kind of, this is always how you can tell by who they're contacting, who they're searching, right. where they're going. And it looks like the last piece for Mueller is, and the only thing that looks like where Trump's in jeopardy. It's great. It's a. I mean, you know, I'm a presidential power scholar. I'm in. This is great for the family business. All this stuff. (laughs) I mean, it's like stuff I never. No one ever thought about before about me, but you know, uh, Trump. uh, Trump has to decide. Well, I'm sorry. Mueller has to decide whether Trump committed obstruction of justice by firing Comey, but that is you know many steps away from did Trump conspire with the Russians. Ironically, the real legal jeopardy for Trump now is this you know, hush money Bagman in New York City, uh, you know, Cohen, who is, you know, is gonna testify, I think, that, or at least cooperate with prosecutors, claiming that Trump co-conspired with him to violate federal campaign laws before the election. That actually is a big legal problem for Trump. Uh, and- Explain I, why that's a big legal problem oh, for him. Well, it's just, so, uh, you know, the campaign laws uh, require disclosure of campaign expenditures. And they set a limit on how much you can contribute, so the claim is when Michael Cohen was going around paying hush money to all these uh women that President Trump allegedly had affairs with, he was making a campaign contribution you know to help Trump win, and he didn't report it, and it was way more than you know twenty seven hundred dollars right yes uh, so. The interesting thing are the defenses that Trump has to make in order to beat this. This was actually, if you remember, the same thing that John Edwards was prosecuted for yes, yes. when he ran for president. Uh, you know, he had a girlfriend. Girlfriend got pregnant, and he was giving her money. And he actually was prosecuted before a jury, but the jury hung and then acquitted him on one charge. So we know we don't actually have any law. This theory of in kind, what we call in kind contributions, has never been tested at the Supreme Court. So. Trump, I actually, I can't believe that we talk about this in these sort of of measured tones because it's all so sordid, but Trump's two defenses. One is, I really paid for it, and, and candidates are allowed to spend as much as I want, so it's not really campaign violation because I did spend the money, I wanted to spend the money, and I can spend as much as I want, just like Ross Pro could spend as much as he wanted. Right. The second one is it's not really campaign contribution because it had nothing to do with the campaign. I pay lots of women all the time for years and years and yeah. years. It's a regular business expense at the Trump Organization. <laughs> had nothing to do with the campaign. <laughs> so I pay twenty women fifty thousand dollars a year. You know, it's actually funny if he showed that it right. probably isn't the campaign. Finance but it's a, it's for a, a it's so shows.
0: it's a sorted <laughs> it's a of defense. I mean, it's, oh, you know, it's, but at this point that probably wouldn't hurt him. But what would, would he be? Uh, you know, doing something to um, affect the outcome of the election is he going to be in any legal trouble from that?
1: From, from your uh, perspective? So that that's a great question, Joe. It's, the question is how did the framers? I, in my mind, how did the framers want that to be sanctioned? Right. Uh, criminal prosecution? I don't think so. In fact, the president has so much power over prosecution that he could basically kill that off if he wanted to. I think the you know this is cases being brought by the U.S. attorney in New York and that person theoretically works for President Trump. The Constitution only gives President Trump the responsibility to uh, execute the laws. It's called the Take Care Clause. Uh, every U.S. attorney works theoretically for Trump, from Jeff Sessions, who may not be working for him much yes, longer, for now, all <laughs> the way down to At the, the time of the recording. <laughs> At <laughs> the time of the recording. But in one hour, we're going <laughs> to have to update that, you know, down to the you know the you know, entry-level prosecutor. Uh, under the Supreme Court precedent, all those prosecutors have to either take Trump's orders or Trump could fire them. Yeah. So Trump could stop all this if he said, I said, he just ordered the people in New York to say, stop prosecuting this. Wow. What the framers really thought was the answer was impeachment. This, uh, this is And almost, that's the
0: way to, and you've written, this is, that's the way to, uh, to, approach, to approach this situation through impeachment.
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, you know, if you look at the Federalist Papers, which were, you know, what... Hamilton, you know, Hamilton must be right because there's a musical about him right now, you know Madison, these guys they you know the people who wrote the Constitution and were urging people to vote for it to ratify it, they wrote you know all these federal papers explaining each provision, and they right. explained the impeachment clause, and it sounds like it's made for Trump <laughs> it's like you know it's not doesn't have to be specifically a crime, they use a phrase, you can impeach someone for high crimes and misdemeanors, and Hamilton says these are like political offenses against the body politic, he said, not some violation of some law passed by Congress. I would think, uh, you know, cheating to try to win the election would almost be by definition a high crime and misdemeanor. Right. Now, you know, Trump's going to say I wasn't trying to do that. I was trying to, you know, protect my family, my family, my wife, you know, and you know, and again, I do this all the time. Yeah. It had nothing to do with the campaign. I didn't really think I was going to win, so it's yeah. right. Like, I mean, that's got to be his defense. Um, the other thing I think is that Trump could also short circuit all this by coming out and agreeing to an interview. So what I've been pitching this should appeal to his reality TV instincts. Right. He should agree to testify under oath on live television and have Mueller be the <laughs> person asking the questions make it a head-to-head Mueller versus like, trump like a who It'll, wants to be a millionaire that's exactly and then at the end trump can say you're fired yeah. right because Mueller works for trump <laughs> yes I like, oh, sort of would be the highest ratings in the history oh of God. mankind but actually to me constitutionally it would be perfect because uh, lastly because trump is the chief law enforcement officer under the constitution he should cooperate with law enforcement he shouldn't if, if he doesn't cooperate law enforcement, how are our prosecutors supposed to get people working in drug cartels to cooperate law enforcement? So it's a, sort of say, a role model. Sort yeah, of. but he's also the head of the executive branch. His job is to enforce and prosecute the law. He can't create an exception for himself as a private citizen. That's what you give up when you become a public office, when you become president. You have to look out for the best interests of the nation. How is he? Anyone gonna trust law enforcement if he, you know, says, "I'm not cooperating. I'm gonna clam right. up. I'm invoking the Fifth? Remember, these were all the same days we debates we had about Clinton uh, during uh, the Monica Linsky thing and and Ken Starr. To his credit, uh, Clinton did testify under oath on yeah. his closed circuit TV. I think Trump can see what Trump should see whether he can beat Clinton's ratings. Yeah. <laughs> All right.
0: Let's speaking <laughs> of the Supreme Court. Let's let's. That's a yes. per- perfect time to talk about yes. uh, uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Um, uh, in a few days, uh, the uh, Supreme Court confirmation hearings of Brett Kavanaugh about to begin. Now, you guys, another full disclosure. You guys worked together
1: in the in the White House, correct? Well, he was in the White House. I was in the Justice Department. Justice Department. But my ties to Brett go way deeper. Really? Now we what were is, in law school together. Really. And I rented his apartment when he graduated. So I know what is under Brett's bed and in his closets. <laughs> and may- I can tell you, because he was already trying to get on the Supreme Court even then, it was clean. He had the cleanest apartment in the history of any law student in America. There was nothing to be found. Professor, you may just burn yourself a subpoena before the before the Supreme oh, Court here. Wouldn't be the first time. It it wouldn't be, be the last it wouldn't be the first time, no. No, so, but I so I, I we I overlapped with so him. So you in know law him school. well. This is a long time, long I, time I've known friend, him a yeah.
0: long time. Yeah. Okay, so Carl Rove. It was of course that for those who may not remember, I always have to do that because we don't. <laughs> really? Some people, yeah, like I, that's amazing. Don't ask, don't tell came up the other day in a podcast. I I do a little quick little a positive of who these what this was people didn't know what it was. People, people, some people don't know what it is. Um, <clears throat> Not everybody is our, of our vintage. Speak for yourself, we'll leave careful. At, we'll You're we'll... almost
1: on Social Security. <laughs> Come that, on. Not that bad. Usually you, you get the benefits while they still exist, because <laughs> okay. they'll be gone by okay. the time so I get okay. there. <laughs> there we go.
0: And then, uh, so Karl hmm. Rove, who is uh, yeah. Bush's political advisor, top advisor in the White House, too, said Kavanaugh was involved in almost all policy issues. He, mm-hmm. you know, is the staff secretary. Mm-hmm. So, Let's talk about how he would act on the court if mm. these things we were just talking about were to happen, if the president mm. refused to be subpoenaed and such. And there's some, some discussion about whether this is. You've written about this a little bit. Um, so back in the 90s, uh, and this is something you wrote about recently, he uh, Kavanaugh wrote in, the, in a Minnesota Law Review article that the nation certainly would have been better off if Pl- President Clinton could have voted on... Focused on Osama bin Laden without being distracted by the Paula Jones sexual harassment scandal or case and its criminal investigations offshoots. So do you think that Brett Kavanaugh on the court would vote in favor of the president being subpoenaed or would he say that's, the president doesn't have to answer that?
1: I think you have to, it's a good question. I think you have to look at, uh, and I'm sure they'll get, this will be one of the main focuses in oh, yes, the yes, hearings. Yes. Um, After on the other hand I, I expect he, will be confirmed yeah um so i think uh two things one is you have to combine uh his service uh as a chief aide to ken Starr Mm -hmm. during the whitewater investigation with what he says in the minnesota law review and other speeches and things which i've read and combine them so when he's a, a deputy to Starr, you know we're starting to see the memos now he's full charge you know get clinton You know, subpoena the president, ask him all these uncomfortable questions under oath. Uh, You know, there's no uh, deference to any presidential power claims in what we see there. So if you were looking just at that, you would say, no, I don't think Kavanaugh would be very deferential to presidential power should, say, Mueller actually get a subpoena to force Trump to testify, Mm -hmm. which itself would be an incredible constitutional, uh, you know, confrontation and crisis. Then... Uh, I think if you read the Minnesota Law, this is why I was uh, writing about it, because I think people were reading it out of context. He says it would have been a good thing for Clinton not to have been distracted by Paula Jones, Lewinsky, Whitewater, and so on, even though right, one of the reasons our distraction was because of Brett Kavanaugh. (laughs) What he was doing. (laughs) Yeah, because he was right. But then he says, but Congress would have to pass a law to allow these personal lawsuits to be deferred till after the presidency. And so as things stand right now, the president does have to answer to that. Yeah, And the Supreme Court's clear in this case called Clinton versus Jones, Paula Jones, that he does have to submit himself to a, a lawsuit about private acts before he was president. So I think people have read, it's strange, I think people have read this Minnesota Law Review article you're talking about as saying, oh, Kavanaugh thinks that the president doesn't have to be subject to a subpoena or lawsuit. It's actually quite the opposite. He's urging Congress to pass a law to change the way things are now. It's, a, it's an odd thing for him to say, because right, it was just it was a mere 10 years before he right. was really hammering President Clinton and brushing aside these uh, invocations of presidential power that the Clinton White House was making, which will be similar to what Trump is gonna, the Trump White House will argue.
0: So, what, so but do you think, which way, do you, if this were to come before him, which yeah. way would he go?
1: I would, uh, I would bet money, a lot of money, actually, that Kavanaugh would say that the president doesn't have any immunity, say, from a s- lawsuit about Cohen, because that's before the electors' privacy would be clearly covered by Clinton versus Jones. President can't claim immunity or escape a lawsuit about things he did before he was president. Mm-hmm. Um, I also would expect that uh, if Mueller, so suppose Trump doesn't testify, refuses to testify, right. then Mueller will go to the Supreme Court and get a subpoena and this would be exactly like the Watergate case. there's this case called Nixon versus United States at the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court unanimously said the president has to obey a subpoena, so I would expect Kavanaugh to uphold that too i I can't imagine i think I would expect this Supreme Court to then you still have the question which even nixon you know trump's you know this is Trump's role model for the president right presidency mm-hmm. Nixon uh, eventually complied with the subpoena and handed over the Watergate tapes uh. We don't know what would happen if a President said, "Okay, Supreme Court, you issued your subpoena now, try to make me you know force me to to do it that we don't you know nobody knows what would happen. I would hope uh President Trump would not be the first president to yeah. you know deny a supreme Court subpoena. There's and do you think one...
0: Kavanaugh would would force him to to turn over I, I'm, his equivalent I'm, yeah, of the Watergate yeah, tapes? Yeah, I'm
1: pretty confident based on what he has said in these law review yeah. articles and in print. It, there's been some controversy about whether where he's at on the Nixon tapes. Yeah, he's I they, don't understand it, it, why. There was there was say, there those was, articles yeah, very closely. This is my, I mean, I've appeared. To, I actually went to Minnesota and I've published in the Minnesota Law Review. They have this right. symposium on U.S. versus Nixon at regular intervals. I don't know why. You know, they're still relitigating. I don't know that Mondale got crushed or whatever, but. People in Minnesota don't like Nixon or the Republican Party, but anyway. So I've been at that same symposium. I've been at the same papers. Uh, I've read the articles pretty closely. I, I don't see what people are seeing there that Kavanaugh might not follow Nixon. Well, there was
0: something he's
1: raised doubt. You know, he's raised doubts about whether it was a good decision.
0: Yes, he said. But, yeah, and the one original, what we're referring yeah. to is he he's said uh, this is Kavanaugh saying maybe Nixon the Nixon case yeah. was wrongly decided. Heresy, though it is to say so, Nixon took away the power of the president to control information, in the executive branch, by holding that the courts had the power and jurisdiction to order the president to disclose information to a subpoena sought by a subordinate branch official, which would be Mueller in this case.
1: Yeah. Uh, See, I think this is actually why people are misreading it, applying it here, because this is about he's talking about something called executive privilege, you know, yeah. the president's right to have a confidential talks and communications with his closest aides, and the court has said it's really over military, national security, law enforcement information. Um, what we're talking about is different here, which is not the president's executive privilege. It's whether the president himself can be required to testify. That's what I'm saying. I think people are reading too much into, th- you know, this Kavanaugh statement was at some roundtable where they're having yeah, a discussion, it was, it's it was a transcript. It was an after, after the... Uh, uh, the Supposing, president's impeachment, yeah. So I, I think, I, I really can't see, based on what he said in the written articles he's written, yeah, that he would say, oh, Nixon should be overturned, president's immune from a subpoena. Now, again, there, there's the deeper constitutional question which they should ask Kavanaugh, which would be, what happens if the Supreme Court issues a subpoena, which I'm confident it would uh, if Mueller asked for one, and then Trump says, you know, go screw yourselves. I'm not yeah. going to do it. You know, that's something we didn't, we've didn't. we never had to confront since the first days of the Civil War. That's that's the question <laughs> that's the we, last we should time.
0: We, we should be concerned
1: about. Yes, yes, because you could totally that's see Trump That's uncharted saying, territory. You could totally see Trump saying, uh, like some presidents have wanted to say, you know, Jeff, Jefferson said this to Marshall Jackson, Andrew Jackson has said it, and Lincoln ultimately did it in a Civil War case. They'd say, well, the Supreme Court, they issued their opinion. Now they can try to enforce it, you know, which they can't against a president who's in charge of the military. But I would expect that would be the end of the Trump administration, though.
0: Do you think that would be what would finally turn Republicans in the in the Congress against him?
1: Yes, I think so. I th- And I think you would see a lot of resignations from the Trump administration, too, if the president actually said, uh, you know, there's a deeper constitutional debate over whether the Supreme Court or the courts can actually, you know, really have the power to regulate the president. I actually have the view that um, each branch can interpret the constitution for itself but an area of corruption where uh, you could have impeachment proceedings going on it would be very it would become very much like watergate and i think that would you know we would have a crippled president you know you know nixon had a lot of problems but you know you know he complied with the subpoena in nixon with the watergate tapes and he did resign rather than put the country. But through But he was an institutionalist. He yeah. believed. No, in, I, you know I, he's, he I'm, had
0: served in the Congress. he, yeah. had, he had he had gone to institutions. I'm worried. Where,
1: yeah, I, I'm worried. Trump yeah. does not have that background. And you know, I'm just saying, so a we were saying I think Nixon is starting to look better and better yes. <laughs> by contrast. Wow. So we these we, days, we, we right, are finally at the bottom of we the are barrel. We're down here.
0: <laughs> okay, let's let's talk a little bit about let's talk a little bit about politics, uh, mm. California politics. One thing that you're uh, that I've seen you writing. Recently, which I which I've been really interested in, is that you have said that um, you're concerned about why more Asian Americans are not Republican.
1: as uh, a, yeah, a Republican uh-huh. yourself uh-huh. as a conservative yourself. Um, and it, I have to say, on this point, I wasn't writing as a. Uh, uh, as someone who's written a lot of articles like on all these other questions right, is just right. like a creed de corps. oh i'm sorry yeah. that was french yeah. I, uh... <laughs> look at you you're an inner frenchman you are just oh, you're, oh my the god shame, this, the this, shame, the shame. if i ever see you with some french fries or some
0: freedom freedom, freedom fries, fries yes yeah <laughs> but,
1: but it was more of a you know so that uh, that article you're talking about was more yes. uh more like a as a as a voter or yes. a, right. as a you know citizen not as someone who's carefully studied asian american politics right right okay mm-hmm. but
0: um you said for all their this is what you've written for all their smarts asian americans of which you are one can be pretty dumb they support democrats in droves and democrats support affirmative action uh race-based policies um what
1: first of all tell me a little tell us a little, little bit what that I means i don't get there. it and, i really don't i think i mean actually oh
0: for first one quick uh, yeah. uh a stat here Asian Americans at this point generally vote two thirds for Democrats. So yeah.
1: this is a, the amazing thing about uh, Asian voting patterns is, after African Americans in the <clears throat> excuse me in the twenty twelve election, they were the second uh, most favorable demographic group for President yes. Obama, yes. more than Hispanics, mm-hmm. more than single women, you know, more than all the groups that the Obama administration targeted with all those ads. Right. Asian Americans were a second highest. I, I, was, I was astounded, yeah. actually, by that. And then, you know, they are, I think, either tied or slightly ahead of Hispanics in the last election in their support of Hillary Clinton. I, I, I can't believe this. I mean, I, first of all, I would think it would be much more... On the other hand, Republican... I'm sorry, <laughs> Asians were the uh, last minority group uh, to vote Republican in a, by majority. And that was for Bob Dole. And nobody voted for Bob Dole, so you know <laughs> like you say Asians for 1996. <laughs> for, you know for those keeping score Asians home. really are dumb when it comes <laughs> to politics. So, but why is that? Why do you think I, that they? This why is, do you think that they vote for a, And you would say California is probably where they vote, probably most Democrat than Asians in any other part of the country, maybe aside from New York. So uh, I've never looked into it, but I bet Asian voting patterns in the middle of the country are probably what? more closer to. The regular breakdown. So why is it? I don't. It seems to me it's completely against self-interest. Explain why. Because this, first of all, this is going to be very yeah. key. Uh, these house races
0: that could swing yep. the house, that could decide the fate of the president. Yeah. Uh, and you've many of them are in California and Orange
1: County. Yeah, has uh, four seats there,
0: and there's a very uh, Asian Americans are are 20 percent of the some of these districts. And you've got that are Asian to-
1: Republican candidates running. There's one in the Central Valley. And there's one, uh, I think he's, she's running to take over Ed Royce's seat, right, down in... Uh, uh, yes, South Young town. Kim. Yeah. Right. Um, so again, I'm just watching like a fan. I haven't really yeah. studied or been in contact with But why do, think, why, why do you think... Oh, why do you think... So, really, so run down it. So, uh, and often people often compare Asians to Jews, right? The, the people always say, why are Jews so liberal? Why do they vote so democratic? Mm-hmm. Although now Asians are voting more democratic than Jews. The similar arguments... Uh, and then I'll tell you the line that the editors forced me to cut out of my article because oh, it was we get too some... racially yes, offensive. I was going to say <laughs> there is some stuff that you were you were going over the going over the line here. No, but there was ahead. more. So, uh, so uh, you know, uh, Asians like Jews have been very successful because of mm-hmm. education, and so right, the Democratic Party supports racial preferences in higher education. Uh, you you would think Asians just on that issue alone, you would think Asians would be Republicans but then go down the other ones, uh, wealth. So if the myth is true that the wealthy and the highly educated college graduates vote Republican, they should be voting. You know, Asians have, are the most educated, and actually they are the wealthiest uh, minority group in America now. Family stability. You know, If you think that uh, married people go Republican and the unmarried go Democrat, again, you know, Asians have very high levels of uh, marriage, very low divorce rates. They're socially conservative. Mm -hmm. Um, Although this is true, I think, of African-Americans and Hispanics, too, that they're very socially conservative. And then the one thing that people have always said uh, explains why Jews are very liberal doesn't apply to Asians. So uh, this is all cut out of the article because it was getting too long. So uh, one thing is uh, Jews historically have been Democrats because they were part of the New Deal coalition that FDR put together. There were no Asians around then, right? So there's no Asian attachment historically to the Democratic Party. In fact, I would say, you know, since Asians started coming in large numbers after the 65 Immigration Act, Asians uh, generally voted Republican at first. Because, at first, yes. Yeah, because they came Spent- from... The Vietnamese? Yeah, the Vietnamese, yeah, the Vietnamese they came Koreans, over, uh, Koreans yeah. Coast, yeah. Taiwanese. They all came from, com- you know, <laughs> places that lost wars to the communists. Right. So they were very Republican. Um, that but that and then the last one, and this is the most this is really i, I don 't know what to make of it, but scholars say um, that Jews have become more liberal as the Republican Party has become closer and closer to the Christian right so it's I think the statistic is Nixon won almost half of the uh, Jewish vote actually, uh, and then that number has really declined. Yeah. But hey, this isn't true of Asians. Asians are probably the most Christian religious. Uh, yes, minority. Some, They're yeah. very evangelical. Yeah. Just look at the numbers. Christians are very religious <coughs> and very attached to those denominations. You know, this sort of born-again, evangelical wing that is the Christian moral majority part of the party. It's right. really puzzling then why they're voting well, Democrats. There's also, so I don't understand Well, there's also, the, the there was a study from Pew,
0: you probably saw it recently, yeah. that that said that the, you know, why well, you say that Asians are, are very well off uh, economically, they also have the widest income disparity income inequality so there's the between the the wealthiest Asian Americans and the poorest Asian Americans you think mm-hmm. there maybe that could be the some of the it? So events.
1: I so I think there's you know and actually I wonder before I wrote that piece I did read I do have you know a lot of colleagues here at Berkeley who study this so I did read yep. their writings to figure it out they're not sure yeah. either so there's uh, you know my my speculation is uh it's also why i think this tiger mom book is wrong too by the way but I don't think there's anything special about Asians here that I bet when Italians first came to the country, Irish first came to the country, they voted Democrat. And then after one or two generations, they sort of just vote like everybody else. And it might just be we're still in the first or second big wave of Asian immigration. Maybe they're, you know, immigrants at first might be more sympathetic to the party that protects government programs, especially for the poor. But then as they assimilate more, that'll be over. The second thing, uh, the, and actually this is the more political reason I think it is not just cultural, is, uh, and I think it's true of Italians and uh, Irish too. When you first immigrate to U.S., U.S., you go land in one of the big cities, right? right. Asians are heavily <clears throat> urbanized, concentrate L.A., New York, the usual places, and you know if you're uh, you know running a convenience store in downtown Philadelphia like some of my relatives did when yeah. we first came. You're never going to meet a Republican. The school board's Republican. The city council's Republican. The mayor's Republican. Police chief's probably, I mean, I'm sorry, Democrat. They're all Democrats, right? right? right. You'll never meet a Republican office holder. So, you know, a lot of these people come to the US, they just want government to leave them alone. They often come, as you said, from authoritarian countries, civil wars. So if you want to get along, you got to play Democratic politics. You never see a Republican politics. So I fault the Republican Party for this. We don't try. We don't try in cities. We don't run candidates for mayors in a lot of cities. You know, I, you know, California, we don't run Republicans or haven't won a statewide office. We're not winning. I mean, are any, like Pete Wilson, right? He was, he was mayor of San Diego. That was his first yeah. job. Are there any Republican mayors of any major city in California now? Uh, uh,
0: Kevin uh,
1: Falconer in San Diego. That's about that's about it. He's not the one who was doing drugs. No, was, no, uh, no, he's, he's still the mayor. <laughs> that was the one before him, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, there, there are, yeah, no, yeah
0: he had Some other problems.
1: The, but, no, but I mean, so like, you but yeah. But there's, but there's no, there's no bench s- of Asian
0: Americans. Yeah, candidates. and it's, there's... it's
1: the Republican Party's fault because they've given up on the cities. They do you gave... think? Well, what about the, the
0: immigration mm-hmm. policies of Asian American? Yeah. Uh, the, the Republican Party, especially right. in California, do you think yeah. that? What effect do you think that has? Because that's what's killed. Uh, the any the, the Latinos uh, but, yeah, from, from supporting the Republican I Party.
1: Mean, it's that I that in fact, I think Americans Asians too, are. I think Asians are different in the sense maybe I, I, the that could be true. I haven't seen polling that reflects right. that because I think it's this interesting question whether immigration policy has anything to do with it. I think there is a difference between uh, you know Hispanic immigration into California and then the uh, proposition. Uh, was it two hundred nineteen or something? The prop, was right? right. Oh no, one seventy. It's one seventy-eight. Yeah, it was, it was struck 19, down in right Yeah, yeah That The sort of tried to cut off state services to illegal aliens, and then I, th- I, I think Asians. You, I think less a proportion of them are here in violation of the immigration laws, and then you know, so a lot of them came legally. So they have a mixed view about the immigration policies. But I think uh, you probably suggest this. I think they might be affected very much by the rhetoric about whether they're welcome, not the actual immigration laws. I th- and I think there, you know, with Trump, the Asians are probably seeing what they perceive as a lot of hostility from the president, even though... Towards anyone who is not Just white, anyone, who, yeah, just yeah. all immigrants, yeah. And uh, rather than uh, looking at the policies. Whereas, again, as I was saying, you know, a lot of Asians are... I think Asians have the smallest, largest percentage of small business people, so they should love the deregulation and lower taxes. I mean, Trump, part of the tax bill is a huge tax benefit for small businesses, you know, right. individual proprietorships. But it's getting swamped by all this uh, immig- you know, this anti-immigrant rhetoric. Even though, you know, as far as you know, the immigration, you know, President Obama mm-hmm. campaigned on pretty tough immigration policies, too, when he was running for president. Yes, a lot of, a
0: lot of people deported under the yeah. president, president. I think Obama. he set
1: the record, yeah. actually, yeah. for deportations.
0: So uh, on a pop culture note, have you seen the movie Crazy Rich Asians
1: yet? No, but I want, I, I want to qualify as one. <laughs> I've got crazy down and Asian down now. If the state would just raise our salaries and I could qualify for rich. Good, good, good plug. Good uh, no, but plug. I haven't seen it. Is it good? Have you seen it? I, I saw it the was other it night. Was it any good?
0: Uh, I didn't like it because I, it, was a, it was a romantic comedy. <laughs> like, so halfway through I, which I turned to my I you, which part to, do you not like romance I, or no, comedy the, the combination of them. Uh, I don't like ro- uh-huh. the romantic part in fact like halfway through I turned to my wife I started grumbling I was like oh I didn't know this was going to be this because I read I didn't read any reviews yeah. going in I just knew it was like well this is like a good pop culture movie to see yeah. uh, many of my Asian friends were We're way into it, yeah. Really. So I was like, yeah. So I was like, to to go see it because there was a big push to go see it on the first. Yeah,
1: so I got to say, my you know, uh, it runs against um, sort of the Asian culture I was brought up in, which is that you aren't supposed to be ostentatious and flagrant in your wealth. Yeah, and so I think that's. Uh, you know that that's really changed. If if that's, I mean, that seems to be the point of the whole movie. There is a, is to yeah, indulge yeah. your you yeah. know <laughs> <laughs> fantasies about being super rich. But it's also Chinese. Uh, you you know, should you should see yeah. it
0: because it, there's a difference between the folks who were from uh, Singapore yeah. uh, and the way they behave, and yeah. then the uh, Asian Americans and yeah. and how the folks in Singapore say, well, she's
1: Asian American. Which is, there was a very... It was a so were the, were the ones from America are the ones who are more ostentatious? Yeah. No, no, more more austere. Oh, really? Yeah, and the Singaporeans were yeah. the, the, the ones were over the top, yes. Even though they're the ones who get beaten with canes if they violate <laughs> yeah. moral yes, codes? Yes, no, there's no oh, gum, gum, it should be. gum we're the on the ones the, who are, are the Kardashians or the, you know, the role models? I have, it should have been the reverse, <laughs> Yeah, actually. well, it could, it depends. you could make the sequel. Um
0: so we're sitting here, as we said, in your office at UC mm-hmm. Berkeley, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and many conservatives talk, you know, they sort of goof on uh, uh, liberal academia and, uh, and how the yes, liberal I... college professors uh, indoctrinate students, yeah, so and just, the you professor's speak. going to his bag now and pulling out the National Review, the, the current copy of National Review that says Fantasyland. A liberal who gave up on Berkeley.
1: With a picture of the campus as the front cover. Yes, there you go. <laughs> right? Just, actually, I'm going to leave that on my we'll leave... table for the students to enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> just A
0: yeah. message picture when they come
1: in. <laughs> so um,
0: why have you stayed here so long? What keeps you... This is the epitome yeah. of liberal academic
1: yeah. thought. You are... I love liberals. <laughs> just you... as long as they're not in charge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, living in Berkeley is... Great, where else can you get anti-war protesters to make me coffee for $2? I love it. All to... oh, the finest handmade foods and products all produced by liberals who have to submit to the market economy. We're, this is the best place in the world to live. I love it. This is, it's much better than going to Texas and buying barbecue where everyone <laughs> agrees with each other. Where I just was in Texas a few weeks ago. Now I, I, look, I think um, uh, you, you've probably observed this too. You know The campus is very liberal. It's not very different than most other top 10 universities now. I think Berkeley, in a way, has won. Look what's happened all around the country. All of our top universities are this liberal. Um, So I don't see any, you know, I talk to my friends at other schools, I don't really see any big difference anymore.
0: So if you were to go to someplace else, you you would be be in the same situation? I would
1: think so. You know, there are some schools are slightly different. You know, there are places people think are more friendly to conservatives either places might have 20 percent of the faculty might be conservative rather than like here one percent but i think the thing that uh makes berkeley really liberal is not necessarily the university or the students but it's just this crazy town you know like with banning straw so i say like i need a i need a concealed carry permit here to carry straws not guns <laughs> i mean and we ban sugar and drinks but not from coffee i mean it's just you could just go down the line of crazy things that's what's really uh liberal about this place not the university i don't think anymore because everybody else has become like the university of california you, you're, it's the crazy town and i live right in the town so. you live in the city of oh, berkeley, yeah. and you, you city married of berkeley. a liberal a a yes, formerly my, Volvo. my driving. wife is a used to drive a volvo she's a poet um yeah i live in berkeley as i often say if i would met myself when i was 18 years old i would have killed me <laughs> Yes, and without a die, would have been a fist fight. The eighteen-year-old would have won. But you,
0: yeah. <laughs> you would have. But you, you've adapted here, and you.
1: I like are, it. I yeah. actually do uh, like living here because, uh, and I'm a contrarian. I mean, I've been liberal. Environment. The only time I was not in a liberal environment was the two years I was spent in the Bush administration, which I hated. I mean, I, you know, I believed in what the Bush. Administration, I just didn't like being with all those other conservatives. Oh really? Why not? Yeah, I. I think part of me is I'm a contrarian. That's why I'm a scholar. In yeah. part, Because I like. You know being critical finding things that are wrong and fixing them rather than being in sort of what they call the amen chorus right just agreeing with everything it's just not my nature uh so i didn't really like that we all agreed inside an administration but that's part of what being i'm glad i did that to see what that was like i that you know the other places i worked you know the supreme court and the senate it's not like that right there are divisions you have majorities and minorities and but in administration everybody's working together so I I didn't I didn't really like being with all the and look I'd rather live where liberals live liberals do pick the best spots I mean they they <laughs> colonize this place with mountains overlooking the ocean with the beautiful the best bay in the western hemisphere they got here first yeah. and uh, <laughs> New York City too and conservatives tend to live in terrible places like Salt Lake City <laughs> and Houston and Florida I don't know why conservatives are bad at picking land. <laughs> Is, but wow. it's, just a that's, true, that's it's a is, true fact.
0: Okay, so what about, there's been a number of controversies with conservative speakers coming oh, to yeah. campus so in the last few so, years. I'm
1: trying to do something Yeah, to tell me about that, that, because this is,
0: yeah. for people who are not following this, Berkeley is, uh, you know, for yeah. half a century now, is, is fashion itself is sort of a, a, yeah. a free speech bastion. We let yeah. everybody speak here no matter what they yeah. do. But
1: the last... Year two years, yeah, it's been terrible here. This has
0: devolved into clashes on campus, yeah, you know, so the violent clashes. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and so, how do you think the university mm-hmm. should handle this? Because this is some of these things are involving uh, oh, a t- million dollars worth of damage, speaker. and this oh, is yeah. a public university, our tax dollars. Yeah, we're spending for it, you, I think eight hundred thousand dollars yeah. on
1: police security for right. conservative speakers who don't even show up. <laughs> right. Right. So I, like so a, was, how would you? Are you yeah. working on this? Yes, yeah, so I'm working on it. So there's a dynamic here. One is, I think conservative students on campus feel so outgunned that instead of inviting responsible people, they invite Milo Yiannopoulos, whose views I find abhorrent, or Ann Coulter, who actually I worked with in the Senate a long time ago. We yeah. could talk about that. Some actually, we talked. I think we had we talked uh, when she came to San Francisco. We, yes, we saw each other at yeah. uh, her. Uh, or, uh, speech to, I think, the Republican... Conserv- like a young Yeah, young Republicans, yeah, yeah, Republicans but, yeah, yeah. in California. We chatted there. Um, yeah, that's when I said that uh, conservatives were like Nietzsche, because, you know, being in Berkeley, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. So conservatives of Berkeley are the supermen of the conservative movement. So anyway, so I think the second thing is, and then there are people on campus who do think that certain kinds of speech are offensive and they're sure should be banned. And I got to say, I think first... Uh, The new chancellor, Chancellor Christ, has actually been very good about saying we are not going to ban offensive speech and we are going to incur police costs of $800,000 if people are trying to shut down speakers. So I think that's been good. And then the other thing I've been trying to do is to raise money from foundations to bring more responsible conservative speakers through and to match them in debates with Berkeley professors because that's the only way we're really going to stop this is to have a steady... If people try to stop these... People, we're going to have more people come and speak. So, your, your solution
0: would be to have it more of the forum as opposed to one viewpoint. Who exactly. Would be, give me an example of someone who, who would be a parent. So, that we you actually think had of.
1: Charles Murray come. So, Steve Hayward, who you probably know, is a kind of California politics guy. He's been here for two years. He's going to be here at least another year. And part of his job is to help invite these speakers. So, remember Charles Murray, who almost got physically assaulted at some tiny uh, Middlebury. College. I don't know where that is, but you know he got t- almost got attacked there. Well, I'm not sure where Vermont is. I'm sure. <laughs> <We are running laughs> I think it's near a Canada. List of I think Vermont's near almost so a part far. of Canada. So you know, I think about the it's Canadians. Very close. Yeah. So um, you know, so he 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 spoke here. Heather McDonald, who uh, was prevented from speaking, basically at Claremont McKenna College, not the most liberal school in the world. She spoke here as part of this program. So. We're trying to invite, you know, but they're responsible, serious speakers. So who would you them. have
0: the, who would you, can you think of some pairings that you would have on campus between,
1: you know, a conservative speaker and a liberal speaker? So we did have one about the uh, presidential elections, and we're going ha- to, I think we're going to try to put one together uh, after the midterm. So Tom Mann is on campus, you know, the, the great liberal student of Congress. So we're going to try to pair him up with a conservative speaker, you know, someone, uh, you know, so, actually one type of person bring is some of the people who are the only i think think tank that's really the trump think tank which is the claremont institute down in mm-hmm. la will probably bring someone from there up and try so to these are not them necessarily
0: say, the big names of the the coulters and the milo yiannopoulos i don't of think the they add bigger.
1: anything they're just yellers you know yeah. they yell and scream and they you know they their they, their mission is to offend people right but the and sell con- books. yeah and sell well that's how they sell books right yeah. like Unfortunately, I think we at the campus only help them yeah. all too much But So how do, do
0: you discourage the the young Republicans here from saying, you know, are you working with them to say, hey, you know, let's invite someone who's, who can actually have a conversation?
1: Uh, we can try. I mean, they can invite whoever they like, sure. of course, st- as a student group, but hopefully they would <laughs> be more attracted to seeing people who are really making things different, right. you know, who really have interesting ideas. I mean, that's the... So I, I do agree with people who say we shouldn't be inviting people to campus to speak whose only desire is to set off a riot. Right. But because, and this is the point of the First Amendment on campus. How do we know who those people are? If the, if the result is we're going to have censors deciding who gets to come or not, I'd rather not have the censors we'll and let everybody come on campus. Right. Um, you know, I've had protests when I speak. I kind of well, find it interesting I, want, I, to guess. It's I mean, like a, It's like a
0: theater. No, really, because yeah. I, I... I don't. I want to ask you how you do this because there's many people, many progressives, who you they hate you. They they want they I, I want to they, they you love that. You I know, love I mean, that they think you me. should be prosecuted for a war criminal for being you know for the writing the legal memo that uh, give the justi- legal justification for torture. Um enhanced enhanced interrogation. Enhance interrogation. If as as you. You're say.
1: displaying your bias, Mister Fake, well, <laughs>
0: <that's, that's laughs> Fake News. Well, that's Mister Fake News. You. So. Um, but do you know you don't you have no regrets about doing that, correct?
1: No, in fact, I think uh, the most important thing and is that if you are getting criticism and feedback, you should uh, and protest even you should be more forthright in what you think and explain it. And the worst thing would be to allow people to shut down different points of view. Right? Right. I mean, I really I this is because I have a lot of faith and I guess in our fellow citizens that when they hear all the arguments and they hear the full debate, they will make the right choice. But you can't make the right choices on policy if you said, I'm just not gonna listen to this one side or the other. So But do you
0: have, are you concerned that the, sort of the the legal justification you gave and gave voice to and was used and was later, you know, rescinded, but now this this demagogue who you say is empowered, or do you fear that it could be used in a way that you didn't intend.
1: That's, uh, that's certainly true about my views on executive power generally. I mean, I think um, President Obama used executive power in ways for policies I didn't agree with, but yeah. I you know, I was maybe one of the few Republicans who would stand up and say, but I think on the Constitution, he has the authority. Right. Um, and I think that's true of Trump. I think uh, it's, a, it's a hard question you ask, that um, I disagree with some of the things, the reasons why Trump is doing some of these things. But I think so far he's been within the Constitution. Like, so far he's been within presidential uh, power. So I, I think he's right when he says he could fire Mueller if he wanted to. I think he's right he could say I could order an investigation of Hillary Clinton if he wanted to. I think that would be exactly the wrong thing to do. I think he ought to let Mueller proceed. Yeah, as a matter of policy. Okay. Um, not even Republican versus Democrat, just go to the country. I actually, when... Um, Trump won. I wrote a piece urging him to pardon Hillary Clinton, just as a sign of good faith that we're going to put all this behind us. Um, I think it would have been an amazing political statement. Wow! But, yeah, uh, they didn't listen. <laughs> I'm no, not look, he,
0: he uses that as a political uh, foil all the time. Yeah, he, we, he we, said he
1: pardoned that that Joker sheriff in uh, Arizona. Joe, or, yeah, Joe Arpaio. Yes. Yeah, I mean, like, but that's not what the pardon power is for. The pardon power is to, you know, heal the country after you know the big political. You know, they thought. It'd be used you know you know you have outrageous cases of um, over sentencing but you would also use pardons to end civil wars basically right. but so. you don't
0: you don't fear any of these the people who, who want to shut you down who want to protest you no. it still goes on a little bit I, it probably. only
1: makes me want to talk more really so they're having the opposite effect okay. wow. <laughs> I, I, it's uh, I that, that is part I think of being at Berkeley is that you will always have this sort of protester class that kind of just sort of lives here and they just want to show up and protest stuff. Um, but, you know, sometimes they get protested at other places too, you know, at other schools, yeah, sure. Yeah.
0: Um, wh- one more thing I wanted to ask you that I yeah. forgot to ask you earlier about Kavanaugh. It kind of goes to this. and he, Kavanaugh said when he was confirmed for his current uh, position, judicial appointment, he said he didn't know about the memo authorizing torture that, that you yeah, wrote. He, and he said, I wasn't aware of it until it was disclosed to the media. He also said he didn't know about warrantless wiretapping, but if he, was, he had all this information, he, was, he saw everything that came to the president's desk, that doesn't
1: pass well, the smell different. test, so, does it? No, because he... Um, so these are the things you've mentioned are the... At that time, were the most highly classified programs in the government, so uh, only certain people were allowed to know about them, and he wouldn't have been... He wasn't and would not have been cleared to see them. So there's no way he in fact if he had known about it, it would have someone would have, have violated the law by yeah. telling him about it. So that's before he became staff secretary. He's talking about so when you are the staff secretary, it's so the staff secretary job, it's it's important but it's without substance. It's like every you know, the president has to do a lot of stuff every day, sign executive orders, appoint people. And so the staff secretary is this guy who or woman who walks around with the president every time the president has a free moment, he basically says, sign this, look at this. You know, he's like the paper flow gatekeeper to the president. But that doesn't give him the right to see every classified secret in the government. Okay. Um, so, you know, for example, in these kinds of programs, the staff secretary at that time, who I think was Harriet Myers, probably didn't know about them either. You know, it would have been something the CIA director and the national security advisors, Condoleezza Rice, would have just talked to the president, you know, orally about. Yeah. yeah and then. Gotten a signature for a covert action order, but it wouldn't have gone through the staff secretary. So it's just it, the way this the government works. You, he would not have been allowed to know about it. Okay, actually, I, that I think, that I would be happy to testify. There you to, go. Well, you've already you've Senate. already implicated
0: <laughs> yourself. So you've already gotten yourself a, uh, an invitation <laughs> through or your earlier comments. Professor, <laughs> You, thank you so much for your time. And uh, you say uh, uh, Kavanaugh gets through.
1: Yeah, by a uh, party line vote. Uh, the only question is how many. Uh, conservative Democrats and red states vote for him, so maybe he gets three Democrats or yeah. two Democrats. But I think he'll get all the Republicans. So and there's no filibuster anymore. Thank you, Harry Reid. There's no filibuster anymore for Supreme Court appointments or lower court appointments. So I don't see how Democrats stop him. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on. It's all political. Thank you, Joe. I hope I come on again in five years. What? Why five years? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know when the last time I was on. So maybe five years okay, ago. Okay. Thank you.
0: You're wow, I'd like to thank John Yu not only for the time, but for turning me on to a great Japanese curry restaurant in Berkeley where we had lunch afterwards check uh, at Joe Garifoli on Instagram for the photos. And I'd like to thank Fernando Diaz, the Chronicle's managing editor for Digital, for producing this podcast. And remember, no matter if you think it's okay to torture political prisoners or not, it's all political.